From Relay FM, this is Upgrade. This is episode number 18, and today's show is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash upgrade. MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam, and stamps.com, postage on demand. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure of being joined by your host and mine, the one and only man of action, Mr. Wow. Jason Snell. I just in to this corner, I just, five feet eleven, two hundred pounds. Used, uh, enough interesting ways to describe you. I might as well just keep going until until it ends. Yeah, and, and I got there. Yeah. Hi, Mike. How's it going? I am very well, sir. How are you? <laughs> uh, doing good. Doing good. Good. Starting a week. I I I'm in this thing. It's funny in my new life that I I'm in this. Uh, uh, I'm realizing that all of my old sort of cycles of what I would do are gone, obviously, since uh, since September. But I, I'm starting to rec- recognize the things that I'm kind of uh, uh, are my new cycles that are starting to happen, things that I'm I'm used to have ha- having happen. And and these days on Sunday, I usually am thinking about what upgrade is going to be and making sure that our topic list is up to date, checking the uh, hashtag ask upgrade. Uh, spreadsheet and things like that and then monday morning the kids are going to school you know everybody's having a little harder time waking up and my wife and i will drop my son off at school and take a little bit of a walk and then i come home and then it's sort of like then i'm then i i actually uh, switch the sponsors on six colors and then i get ready to do upgrade and it's like my monday upgrade my sunday night monday morning is uh that's a just a big part of it is getting ready to do this. So it's uh it's nice. It's nice to have some mile posts like that so I'm not like waking up wondering what day it is. <laughs> which which could happen in this in this kind of when I don't leave the house to go anywhere. Um that could happen. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I went swimming this morning. So uh I Did you go terrible. to the Olympic pool? Uh yeah, I went to the Olympic pool. Oh good. Um I, I I'm not one of these people, uh, and I know many people like this that that feel great after they work out. You know, oh just, yeah, yeah, the the endorphin rush thing. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I have the opposite of that, but that's <laughs> that's maybe something for another day. Well, you're doomed then if you don't. I did. I I'm actually thinking. I I I did. Uh, I started running a couple years ago. I, I I ran when I was in high school just to burn off my extra energy. Um, and, uh, just not, not like in an organized way, like literally put the tape in the, cause I'm old in the Walkman and run. Um, and, uh, I started running again a couple years ago and then, and because my daughter had to run a mile. And so we did a couch to 5k kind of thing and we did that. And then we stopped because basically if we didn't schedule it and I thought about going back to that and my experience doing that a couple years ago after having not really run for a long time, except when chased by bears is that um i i totally get that afterward i feel like i I felt like i'd accomplished something and i i i wouldn't say i felt good i would say i felt good tired like i felt like i was i was tired afterward but in a like i don't know like like a like a good kind of tired as opposed to just i'm exhausted it was more like i had accomplished something and that was why i was i was low on on energy afterward it's weird it's fine. I, I'm not a fan of exercise. I force myself to do it sometimes, not as often as I should. Um, and uh, yeah, but I should do more. It's the exercise vertical. It is. Jason Snell, do you, <laughs> do you have some follow-up for us today? I do. 
Um, listener and Upgradian Wes Morgan wrote in to ask, uh, can we refer to the shore-up release that's been theorized of OS 10, 10.11? Everybody is hoping that there will be, rather than a major new release with a lot of new features, we'll get to that in a moment, can we refer to that as snow Semity? Hashtag ask upgrade. No. Nope. <laughs> you can't. Do that. Don't afraid. do it. It's a nope. nice try, Wes, but uh, yeah, we no. can't do that. Mm-mm. Nope. Anyway, moving on. Uh, listener Justin. Uh, okay, so listener Justin appears to be our winner. We talked about the how many hours has smart speed saved you in Overcast last time. And um, many people, ma- many people many, wrote to us. Lots, lots and lots of many of lots and lots of many of people. With <laughs> with their hour with their hour totals. Thank you for sending them over though. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting to see how basically everybody listens to more podcasts than me. I don't yep. I thought I thought I was quite proud of my number, Jason. And what now, was your number? I'm I'm gonna go back now. It might be something like forty or something like that. Yeah. Mine's like um, twenty. It was so much that I had to double check the mm-hmm. the wording. Oh, twenty eight, I'm at. Because it said uh Smart speed has saved you an extra 28 hours beyond speed adjustments alone. Yes. So, like, I wanted to just double check that it wasn't, like, all speed adjustments. Yeah, but it's just smart speed. It's just smart speed. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, so when, uh, so uh, we haven't said the, the amount yet, have we? No, so, so, listener Justin, so the winner, so far as we can tell, is listener Justin, Upgradian Justin who said, I have saved 222 hours using SmartSpeed on Overcast. And then he followed that up by trash-talking a little bit and saying, hashtag Upgradians aren't hashtag amateurs. Amateurs, yeah. yeah. I can't even (laughs) understand how... I I don't... He just just listens all the time. Yeah. Like, I don't don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, what are you... Like to save two hundred and twenty-two hours just with smart speed. Like how many thousands of hours? <laughs> That's I I, I I can't. Maybe he listens to lots of podcasts with lots of pauses. So uh, I I uh, spoke to Justin a little bit because I was I was taken aback, uh, and he says he subscribes to over one hundred podcasts, but he listens to probably like twenty-five. Um, and he's allowed to listen at work all day, so he does. He listens all day every day. Amazing. Congratulations. And, and again, a lot of pauses, I think, mm-hmm. are happening to listener Justin. So I, I, I think he wins, but we thank everybody for sharing their number. We also um, helped somebody. It uh, turns out there was a bug that Marco is hoping is fixed in the update that he's about to do for Overcast uh, that some people don't see their saved hours. And we had a couple people, I think, who discovered that. Um, so we did some good in the world and um, stop sending us how many hours you saved because... Uh, we we appreciated it, and we don't need to see it anymore. Unless, have, I, my my Twitter stream was full of just screenshots yeah. of Overcast with the text saying twenty six hours, thirty four hours, fifty two hours. I did that two hundred twenty two just to went, see what it was clubhouse. like. I did that thing with Tweetbot where you turn it into the media stream. Oh, and I'm just looking for. I'm like, it's just pictures of this. It's it's just Overcast. I only want to to hear from you about this now. If you've beaten two hundred twenty two hours. Yeah. You got to beat listener Justin. If you don't beat Upgradian Justin, then yes, I don't want to see a, it. He's a proud Upgradian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, moving on to other feedback, listener Amjid um, wrote in to say uh, regarding Apple software: Has anyone mentioned the F word? 
potential impact of Scott Forstall leaving Apple? Could his leaving have been a potential cause for some of the software instability that we're that we're currently seeing? Uh, as I said last week, um, one of our really big challenges with talking about this is that we're on the outside. And we I don't have any inside information about the. Uh, exactly what everybody at Apple is doing and whose positions were what and why changes were made. And I don't have that. And uh, so there are people, you know, who've got sources or secret, secret, you know, former Apple developers or whoever, anonymous Apple developers who could maybe tell, tell more from the outside. I would say that if there's anybody whose departure strikes me as being somebody who might've had a, an impact on what Apple is doing with their software methodology, it's probably Bertrand Serlet. Why is that? Who was, well, he he was for a long time. I mean, he was the OS guy um, at Apple, and and while Scott Forstall was the uh, high profile, uh, big name, uh, you know, big name uh, on stage kind of guy, whereas Bertrand, you never saw unless you went to the State of the Union session after lunch on keynote day at WWDC. Um, but he was. Um, the senior vice president of software engineering at Apple from 97 to, to 2011. Well, I mean, he was, Avi Tavanian was in charge and then Bertrand was in charge. After 2003, Bertrand was in charge until he left Apple. Um, and, I, you know, again, I don't know all the details, but it strikes me that, that, that he seems to be a guy who had some very specific, he was not a, a, a public kind of person. But he he struck me as being somebody who was um, pretty professional and was running that ship for a very long time. And his departure, it strikes me, probably had a big impact on 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 Apple. But again, I don't know. That would just be that would be my guess. It's easy for us to point at Scott Forstall because he was very high profile. He was on stage. There are lots of stories about Steve Jobs liking him, about him not getting along with other people, and then he was obviously sent uh, to the garden by uh, for some gardening leave by uh, Tim Cook. Um, but I wonder about Bertrand and whether Bertrand um, had more of an impact. But I don't know because I'm not, you know, I don't have input into that. But um, I think one of the mistakes we sometimes make when we're talking about Apple is uh, we're looking, like I said, at the surface and we're looking at people whose names we've heard and there are stories about them. And sometimes it can be not one particular person or it might be a person that you haven't even heard of unless you're, you know, at WWDC or you know engineers at Apple who know this executive. So just throw that out there that maybe Bertrand Serlet he had a he had a lovely French accent uh, I always en- enjoyed uh, listening to him talk about the operating systems and pronounce various operating system code names in French accent but the, so my question with this is um, who replaced Bertrand then did nobody replace him yeah I don't know because there was there's a gap there like if he left in 2011 because they didn't do the um like the software group merging until later, until like, what, 2013, 2014? Because that, that was after Forstall left, right? And he left later than 2011, didn't he? Yeah, it looks to me like Bertrand was in charge of operating system and Forstall was in charge of iOS. So Forstall worked for Bertrand, so far as I could tell. But again, not on the inside. Don't have... I'm trying to remem- trying to rack my brain. So then maybe when he left, they just split them a little bit and then nobody kind of took over from him and then Forstall left and then they squished it all into, what, like Federighi's team? Yeah, I mean, Forstall left in 20, 
twelve and Bertrand left in twenty eleven. So it was it was right in there. So so maybe Forstall, I don't know, maybe maybe those things Forstall and Federighi were both just reporting up. Yeah. Um, rather than reporting to Bertrand. I'm not sure. It seems to me that Craig Federighi basically has this role now of the Bertrand role, which is in charge of all software. But uh, anyway, I like Bertrand. I some Some sources tell me that the year after Bertrand left Apple or the year Bertrand left Apple, he was seen having lunch with John Syracuse at WWDC. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I I don't know. I mean, they may just have had a friendly l- lunch, but I, I thought that was funny. That's like the guy who's been in charge of OS ten development, essentially, um, since uh, since close to the beginning, um, having uh, having a chat with uh, with John about OS ten would have been a fascinating thing. I, I don't know if that's I actually assume... true, but that's that's what I that's what I heard is that is that they had a lunch together. And, I, I yeah. like to assume that that was uh, John debriefing Bertrand and thanking him for his sleeper cell work inside <laughs> I, of Apple. <laughs> I like to imagine that it was that it was Bertrand saying, "Oh, John," in his French accent, "John, you were so right, right." I, I would like that was more Russian. Anyway, um, I don't do accents, and uh, I, I like to imagine that you were so right. About everything, John. We listen to you, um, except for the file system thing. You were wrong about that. Something like that. And then John just throws his fork down and says, this lunch is over and storms it. That's my John Syracuse of Bertrand Sirle fan fiction. Maybe Joe Steele can write a screenplay about that. Do you remember the the uh, the famed Eric Schmidt-Steve Jobs lunch meeting thing? Do you remember that when they were sitting outside of a coffee shop? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. And there were pictures of them sitting there. there. You've just created a new one of those. Yeah. Jobs and Schmidt were probably like talking about how they weren't going to hire anybody and they were going to make everybody suppress all the wages in Silicon Valley. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Just little things. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's 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 that one. Uh, speaking of Joe Steele, he wrote in asking about uh, automation scripts and things that have helped uh, us do work. If we could detail some of those, he was, he linked to a Dr. Drang post on Dr. Drang's site about, um, this sorting script that he, that he built to, uh, to sort of manually to automated sort of, uh, he was doing wind directions, I think, and he got the directions wrong. And then he wanted to write a script to correct himself rather than just correct it manually, which I totally understand because the, the fear there is if you write a script to do it, then it will do apply the same rules to what you've done on every line, and it will either be completely wrong or or completely right. Whereas if you do it by hand, you may get some of them wrong, and that's scary because then you've got some of your list items are are incorrect. Um, and it's fascinating because um, you do get the sense sometimes with Doctor Drang, who is a brilliant guy, that um, you know he does like writing his scripts, and um, there is that question of like, have you fallen down the rabbit hole at some point and spent too much time writing a script? Um, I think there's an XKCD cartoon. There is for everything, right? About this, the the uh, the chart of how much time you save and then how much time uh, you spend building the tool to automate the thing that is supposedly saving you time. Um, I don't know if you do any any automation stuff. I can say for me, you know, in Macworld, I had a lot of scripts in BB edit that automated a whole bunch of stuff. But before that, I actually had, um, when we were using this home built CMS for the TV website that Greg Noss, um, wrote, um, I had, uh, some scripts that were basically like made BB edit into a blog posting tool. I would run the script and it would post the 
post the story, which was um, pretty great at that time when there were no blog posting tools to do that. Um, these days, I've got some automator stuff for uploading images and uh, to six colors and resizing them and things, and I posted about that and uh, uploading podcasts to the to the incomparable. So I've got I've got some, um, and then the other one that really saves me a lot of time. I've got a lot of little scripts in BB Edit that just do quick search and replaces in a sequence, and uh, you know I, I put some time into that because I feel like over time it saves me a huge amount. Uh, just to uh, if I'm saving a fraction of a second, but I use it a thousand times, then I'm I'm actually saving appreciable amounts of time and not breaking my concentration and. Um, uh, most of those are uh, grep patterns. They're pattern matching um, uh, regular expressions, and uh, those take some time to build sometimes too. But when they work, again, you can save a whole lot of time. And like Dr. Drang's example, um, it's consistent. You, you can tell if it worked or not because either it works or it doesn't rather than it being something that you update by hand and it turns out that you made mistakes on 5% of the things you were trying to update. I have... Uh, very little experience of Automator. Um, I've used it a few times to build actions to like bulk rename a file or something. Mm-hmm. But now anything like that on my Mac, I use Hazel for. Mm-hmm. So I have I only have a few Hazel actions. Um, I have one that that goes through and and categorizes all of the photos that I upload to Dropbox that I kind of stole and Frankenstein from Federico. Um, mm-hmm. I'll I'll find that and put that in the show notes as well, where he explains his uh, photo automation workflow. Uh, and I also have one that that just does some stuff. So, for example, all the calls that we have here and all the Skype calls that I have and shows that I have, um, Core Recorder automatically records them. Uh, and I have Hazel go in and clear old ones out after a certain oh. period of time. Yeah, I just I just. Uh go in and say, oh my God, there are a lot in here and delete them every now and then. But I mean, Dan Morin on Clockwise, we asked this question and Dan Morin said most of the automation he uses was written by me. <laughs> so I do, I, I have been somebody who sort of like pushes the stuff on others and that, that's how I felt on at Macworld was I was automating stuff for me, but I was also then um, passing that around and saying, you could use this too and save time and it's already built. So if they were writing a markdown in BB Edit, they could use the tools or not, but they were there for them. And and that's mostly what it is. I, I don't, I'm not a, um, you know, Dr. Drang is a shell scripter and he's got, uh, he's got these amazing scripting skills that I do not have. But I do have those moments where I think, like I said, um, up, uploading images to six colors. I did that for a couple of weeks where I was, opening every image, resizing it twice, saving it out twice, and then uploading the file. Um, and then opening my template of like what the uh, HTML was to place that in the document and then putting in the file name and all that. And now I have a script that automatically resizes them, automatically uploads them, and puts the HTML for those file names on the clipboard. So I can just paste it into my text editor. That's better. <laughs> and although it's not perfect and I need to make some, I, I've actually been thinking I need to tweak this. Um, it's, uh, it's been great to do, to have that. And that saved me a lot of time. So that's, that's the kind of stuff that I end up automating. I do try very hard to recognize that, um, I, I, I try not to fall into the bottomless pit. I try, I try to think like how much effort am I going to be able to put into this and what am I going to get out of it? And I try to be pretty, 
I'm okay with doing some tasks if they're not too repetitive. Um, if the alternative is having to spend hours trying to automate something, because that's that's no good. But but that six colors image uploader thing that was great. That took me a couple hours, but that has uh, th- that that has reduced the friction in posting stories to the site. And that um, whether whether I've netted that time back yet or not, I feel like it's it's worth it because now. Um, when I'm done with the story, the story is done. Instead of when I'm done with the story, now I have to go through these 10 steps in order to get the story live because that's no fun. So sometimes I wonder if it's better to be uh, in a world like in my mind uh, where I know how to do these things and then have, you know, then have like the pain of I need to tighten this up or for, to be in the world that I'm in where I don't I don't identify the situations that could probably be scripted because I'm unsure of some of the power that these things have. And I wonder what's the better place to be in, like not scripting things and just doing it as as it is or scripting them and then then feeling like, oh, maybe I need to tighten this up or something like that. I, I don't know what, what the nah. worst trade-off is, you know? I, I um... So I have kind of blissful ignorance. I hate... I. This is true. This is true. I mean, what I hate is I hate repetitive tasks. There is that moment, whether you know how to do do scripting or, or, or regular expressions or anything, there's that moment where you're looking at uh, a, a text file or an Excel file or something like that and thinking, oh my God, I just need to go through this line by line and make one change to every single thing in here. And that's that moment where you say to yourself, this is a computer. Shouldn't the computer be able to do this for me? the stupid task that is just going to take me half an hour of clicking and occasionally typing, there's got to be a better way. And the the next step is I have some ways <laughs> and maybe one of them is better. And if it is, I'm going to use that. And that that's, you know, that's, that's great when that happens. But I think that moment happens regardless. I mean, I, I think there's a moment where you're sitting there clicking for 30 minutes where you've got to be thinking to yourself, all I'm doing is sitting here clicking and I'm using this, you know, this powerful computer. Surely there is some way, and maybe I don't know it, but surely there is some way to reduce this this friction or not waste myself with this um, this stupid task that I that I have. And that happens to me a lot. I have a lot of things that that um, that, that work like that, that I end up pasting text into bbedit and running a regular expression or exporting something in into a tab delimited text file and bringing it into excel and sorting it and then putting it back out and lots of stuff like that 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 does happen so i i think i think i think it does happen on a certain level to everybody and the difficulty is if you don't have any tools to use to um get yourself out of that get you know that that predicament then you just feel even worse because you know this is stupid there's got to be a better way but you don't know it and so you just have to do the work yeah uh this is going on way too long now yeah but I, I, I <laughs> thanks now, joe Steele. i know i feel like <laughs> i just had something else that I wanted. oh yeah well i think part for me is like a lot of the repetitive tasks that i have i can't automate like like the audio editing stuff so going right. in doing a lot of that some of it can be, but a lot of it, the majority of it, can't be automated. There's nothing I can do about it. So maybe I just have a higher threshold, so I don't, e- I don't even think about it because it's not something that I worry about. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, anyway, that's our. Uh, I guess that's our automation vertical. Yeah. I have one more bit of uh, of uh, listener follow up, which is uh, listener Andy, um, who said, uh, "Show seventeen, we mentioned." 
those sort of dictionary passwords for something like one password that are easy to remember because they're all real words, but they're unrelated words. Um, and XKCD obviously had a cartoon about this because XKCD has a cartoon about everything. Uh, but Andy sent a link in that we'll put in the show notes to uh, a little tool that uses the XKCD method to randomly pick four words and uh, you can just hit reload until you find something that pleases you and you can set the number of words and all of that. And I just went there and I got Paddington, Carla, Guildford films. Oh, there's lots of beautiful British words in there. I know. How about that? Oh, Paddington and Guildford. That's Guildford, by the way. Underwater passports, living programs. I think that's pretty good too. Anyway, so thank you to listener Andy, and we'll put that link in the show notes. That's a if if you want a little tool to help you come up with a memorable, uh, but not really guessable password, you can give that a try. It's perfect. Thank you, Andy. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Andy. You're a, you're a true upgradian. Mm-hmm. And a good friend. <laughs> Speaking of friends, Mike. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is a segue really a segue? If you acknowledge it, I don't know. Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. They are helping support this week's episode of Upgrade. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world, and they have over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business. All of lynda.com's courses are taught by experts, and they have new courses being added to the site Every single week. Lynda.com has something for everyone. If you're looking to your 2015 and thinking about maybe you want to find a better work-life balance, maybe you have a new hobby that you want to try out and you're not sure where to start, or maybe you're looking for a new hobby and you want some inspiration, maybe you want to improve on some job skills that you have, well, Lynda.com is the place for you. You're going to get unlimited access to every single course once you sign up. This gives you access to all of the current courses and all of the new ones that are being added, and you can view them as well as on your laptop, on your tablet or mobile device with their apps for iOS and Android. Lynda.com has some fantastic courses and videos that I think that you're going to love. Maybe you want to learn a little bit about Swift. They have Swift Essential Training in there, iOS app development training too if you're looking to build an app. But maybe you want to learn a little bit more about marketing. So maybe you have a small business or something like that and and you do this online and you want to learn a little bit more about marketing so you can help that get noticed. Well, Lynda have courses to help you plan with marketing plans and also how to use the tools out there to get the word out about your business and this can be from like software and methodologies and strategies all the way to like buying twitter ads and buying facebook ads and the best way to do that so it's an, it, this just gives an idea of the breadth so first you build your app and then you need to market it and this is the kind of thing that lynda.com can give you do yourself something good for 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by going to lynda.com upgrade go ahead i challenge you to learn something new in 2015 thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Yay. So we have a little bit more follow-up, but this is a yes, ver- this is, verticalized follow-up. Yes, this is follow-up from other podcasts, which I thought I would do because I have opinions and would like to share them. Uh, so this may be particularly exciting for people who listen to other podcasts uh, and maybe have 200 hours of saved things in Overcast, and maybe not. Um, I... Wanted to mention so so we talked about Marco Arment's piece last week, which he had just posted, and then he, since then he made some edits to it, and he said uh, he did a post saying that he kind of regretted posting it, and um, ATP talked about it last week, and I, I again I kind of assume that uh, 
that most people who listen to this show probably also listen to Accidental Tech Podcast. So I don't want to really go over uh, everything there. I, I liked the fact that, I mean, I was listening to it live. I was in the chat room. I was uh, making dinner and listening to ATP, which is actually a lot of fun. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel bad for Marco. I think they... I, 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 you know, clearly the story is that he dashed it off and didn't expect it to get noticed, and the rea- you know by by a massive audience. And the reality of writing something on the internet and putting it out there is that the, any piece you write could be that piece, and you kind of need to be prepared for that. And I think um, Marco's take may include the idea that he's not willing to do that much uh, diligence. And so he's just going to be more reluctant to say things on his blog, which I think is unfortunate. I think it, I think everybody had a good laugh about the fact that those guys have been very critical of the same issue in the podcast for ages, and nobody noticed because nobody listens to podcasts who writes those stories. They they don't do that. Uh, we don't yet have somebody who's the Truth Squad who's doing transcripts of every podcast and then quoting those things on websites. Uh, and so, you know, you can bury opinions in podcasts like this one that you that that might be more problematic if you if you just wrote a headline and, you know, a few hundred words on the website. And I think that's just the world we live in. Um, but I like that. I like their discussion about software stability. Um, I, I come back to what we said last week as well, which is we don't know all the details and we don't know what all all that's going in there. There was also. Um, a nice piece that I saw linked to from, well, Daring Fireball linked to it, and I saw it on Twitter as well, um, from Ashley Nelson Hornstein, uh, who works at Dropbox but used to work at Apple. And I thought it was encouraging because she was basically saying, I know a ton of smart, smart people uh, who, who, who work there. And I think they have noticed this problem and are moving to make the proper adjustments, and we just haven't seen the results yet. And um, that's encouraging, I think. So, yeah, that's yeah. like via the horse's mouth, you know. I think you yeah. can, you can, because obviously Apple can't or not can't. Apple won't uh, address it um, like publicly, you know, in, in the media. Um, so at least if we hear from people that either a work there or or b have and like or you know have seen this stuff that's a good thing yeah yeah but we you know we're on the outside and this is something i tried to say last last week and then i think it's worth worth repeating which is um a lot of what what happens in the uh especially people who write about apple a lot in that sphere a lot of what happens is us waving our arms to say, do you guys know that this is a problem? Do you think that this is a problem? Are you aware that this is happening? And then we just kind of have to hope that, you know, maybe something good happens. But but I don't I, I don't feel as as somebody who is uh part of this sphere, I don't feel like I can write something and get results at Apple. I feel like I can write something that somebody at Apple might notice and they and they might uh, use it as part of their thought process, but they might just as easily never see it or just look at it and go, nope, he doesn't know what's really going on on the inside here. And so I feel like all we can do is say, hey, we think this is an issue, do you? And hope that they do. If you know we think it's a problem, uh, we hope that they think it's a problem and we hope that they are working on it. And that's all we can do. And with Apple, you l- l- like literally won't know until the situation gets better or they make a nod toward it at WWDC or something like that. So that's just, that's where we are. So that, that's my, 
I just wanted to touch back on that and say that I, I like the ATP discussion of it. I think I th- actually think uh, there were two interesting discussions to be had about it, one being about the Apple and software stability in general, and one being about the funny media world we live in where Marco's piece got picked up and how, how you end up writing um, defensively sometimes because you're aware of the scrutiny that's placed on you as a writer and how I think Marco... Uh, doesn't like to think that way. I, I I don't want to say he wasn't aware of it because I think he's aware of it on one level, but I think he just doesn't want to think that way. I think he wants to be able to write the stuff that he wants to write. And the difficulty is that some of his stuff is a little provocative and some of it, sometimes he, you know, he will write phrases that are a little bit too far and not more incendiary than maybe he actually intends. And the difficulty is he likes writing those pieces and he's now in a position of visibility where it's very difficult for him to write those pieces because people will um, quote him and use his words to further their um, their take on the issue, even if Marco doesn't share where they're coming from, and they'll appropriate his words. And you just, you know, yeah, that kind of sucks that you can't do what you like to do before, but that's just how it is. That's like, you know, I'm sure George Clooney would like to go into his local 7-Eleven and buy a Slurpee like he did when he was 14, but he can't. He just can't. So that's just, that's life. That's life in the big city uh, and on the internet now. So I thought those were two interesting discussions. I also wanted to mention briefly John Syracusa, who uh, a couple weeks ago did an ATP uh post credit segment, I think, post-music segment, about how he has like a thousand windows on his screen. A million windows, an infinite number of windows spawning. There's a new one spawning every 30 seconds forever, and he never closes any of them. I exaggerate a little bit, but I wanted uh, I wanted to talk about that briefly only because I, 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 thought, I thought it was fascinating. Um, and I thought it was a good reminder that none of us uses our computer like anyone else. We all are special little quirky snowflakes when it comes to how we how we uh, use our computers. And also many people on the internet are very judgmental about this. I can't believe you don't do it the way I do it. And the answer is nobody does it the way you do it because we all do it uh, differently. But um, it struck me like like John having all these windows open that I am I am a minimal window person, op- uh, window open person. I'm not a no windows open person, but I try to keep it small. I, I only have web browser windows open when I'm actively using them. And even then I will often hide Safari or hide some windows because I don't want a thousand windows open. I very rarely have more than about eight windows open. Um, and I very rarely have more than about five things in a particular browser tab. And I was curious, Mike, what your window situation is. Okay, so... Uh, I, for context, I use a 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro, okay? So my, sure. my my main desktop has one, two, three, four, five, let's say five on average apps open that all have a single window, TweetBot, OmniFocus, Slack, Lingo, and Messages. So they're always there on home screen one. I have a second home screen, like a oh, desktop, sorry. <laughs> Look at me, iOS generation. Uh, I have a second desktop. Uh, which at the moment has uh, ByWord and On the Outliner open for for something that I'm working on, a little project. I don't always have this, but I probably will have this for the foreseeable future. Then everything else, I use full-screen apps. So I have two Chrome windows in full-screen. I have Mailbox and Evernote as well, Uh, and they they occupy full-screen. I probably Mm. have, well, about 10 or 15 tabs in window number one on chrome and then about the same in in window two 
Window 2 is pretty much completely Google Drive uh, and then a couple of um, Wikipedia articles for some research for, for a show outline. Uh, and then in Window 1 is all of the stuff that I browse on a daily basis uh, and or some things that I want to come back to later. I do, like John, I keep some tabs open for things that I want to get to. But like, that's that's good to hear. I, I don't do full screen anything. Huh, um, really? I don't. I don't you use do spaces. You have a huge computer though as well. Like, what I, about on the 11 inch? You must on the 11 inch. No. Wow. No, I... I don't, I don't, I, I, and I, you know, one of the reasons why I've tried that, sometimes I will do that with Logic on the 11-inch because I need every last little bit of space. But the problem is then something happens and it flies out of full screen or it slides your app away because something else is going on in the computer. And I have some, I don't know, it, I have some problems with, with the, um, what happens when when things are sliding in and out and and uh, you're over now I'm over in this space and now I'm back over here and and uh, you know switching between apps having an app be, be you know the size of the screen and, and yet not in full screen mode works okay for me a lot of the time so I do a lot of that so like right now I've got the Skype window open in the background because we're doing a Skype call but that's just kind of floating there I have. I have a web browser window open, a single one with three tabs, and it's our sh- our topic list and the two uh, friend ad reads that are coming up. I have my I have my reminders window open because I just put a couple of story ideas into it, and I've got my IRC window open for for uh, the chat room for the show, and that's it. That's it. I don't have any other like, I don't I don't use open windows as to do lists. Uh, most of the time and if I was working on a story right now it would be open in BB Edit and maybe hidden I might have just hidden BB Edit just to get it out of the way because I'm not working on that right now I'm working on the show and it's also very rare that I keep web browser windows open because there's an article I want to read which is something John talked about I, generally I will just you know put them in Instapaper um, if I'm not going to read it right now I'll just put it in Instapaper and I'll read it later and close the window I don't know see everybody's different Everybody is a special, a special uh, interface snowflake. That's just how it is. They are indeed. I am very <sighs> surprised that you don't use any full screen apps on an eleven inch MacBook no. Air. That I've tried. Interesting. It's very. I've interesting tried. To me. I've tried. There's something. There's something about the. Um, yeah, there's just something about the way that that you switch between them that I end up I end up wanting to go back. I just so often like like Logic when I'm editing I can be in full screen mode, but then there's that moment when I need to drag an audio file in from the Finder, and I can't be in full screen mode to do that. So then I have to switch out of full screen mode, and then position the window and drag it and all of that. And it just you know I, I use multiple apps a lot for for things, and in full screen mode you can't. You're just using one. And yeah, see, I, I set really up that. separate desktops as well, though, right? To try. Oh and... my god, yeah, I've tried that too, and it just it just never works for me. I end up going back to. It's very rare that I have I have two like totally different sets of windows that interact with each other and not with anything else. Um, I, I I you know occasionally I have done that for a project, but in, in the end I end up just going back to. I think it's just because I I you know started to use a Mac in an era when that you didn't do that, when you just did your own window management and you had one space and that was it. And I think that that is a lot, a lot of it too. Yeah. Anyway, so there's some window follow-up for somebody else's show. And then I wanted, I have a couple items for um, uh, other podcasts 
to say that we talked about Hello Internet and CGP Grey last week. Uh, I just wanted to mention um, that I just realized that that video that was great that I watched about how robots are going to take over everything for humans and nobody really knows what humans are going to be good for anymore is a CGP Grey video. And I think that was the first yep. one of his that I, that I saw. That's very um, outside of his usual style. It's like it a 15-minute video with lots of uh, imagery and, lots and of pictures. stock video and stuff like that. And he's Not so many cartoons, it. yeah. Yeah, it's very different, but it's incredible. And, of course, it will be in the show notes, which are at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 18. Yeah. Um, so that I wanted to throw that out there. Um, also mention that the uh, latest episode of The Flophouse is a live episode that they did in front of an audience, and it's awesome. And I'm, so I'm check about... That out. I'm about 20 minutes in, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so about that. It's the li- live version, and they're talking about the new, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and as they put it, the old, not the old one. And then there's an extended riff about what the 1950s Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtle movie might have been. Um, but it's it's pretty funny. And I remember I was at Comic Con last summer, and I was actually in line for I was in line for um, a, a room that was currently doing a panel about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And so I was there for the, what was coming next. But I was in the line with some of the people who hadn't yet gotten in, who were hoping to sort of get into the last 20 minutes of the Ninja Turtles session. And I was fascinated by that because I was too old to ever be into I remember what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the comic book, was parodying, which is all of the ninjas that were in Marvel Comics in the 80s, like Frank, all Frank Miller's Daredevil stuff. It's like, like as they say on the... On on the podcast on the on the flop house like a hundred ninjas appear and it turns out that a hundred ninjas are much less dangerous than one ninja one ninja will kill you a hundred ninjas you can fight them off it's fine um they fight one and, at a time yeah because they do one it's one at a time and the um that was totally i mean as much as i love some of those comics from the 80s uh it, ninjas was a a really really overused trope that the tick the comic book uh, version of the Tick did a, a, a some great jokes. They had an they had an issue called Night of a Million Kajillion Ninjas that was a parody of those Daredevil comics. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a that was the joke is that the X Men were big, so that was the mutant and the Teen Titans and the Teenage Mutant and then the ninjas from the that was the joke. So I'm old enough to remember what the joke was about, but I wasn't a kid whose you know formative years watching cartoons coincided with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So for me, standing in that line at Comic Con, I was just baffled. I'm like, really? They're remaking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Uh, you know, really? And I just didn't get it. So um, I was I, that generation. Yeah, I know. Well. I was, I was the, the the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles as well. They were called. Was it Hero? I feel like, yeah. Uh, well, it may it may have been, you know, like uh, in the UK, they may have changed some things that, you know, like, oh, ninjas are, are, are bad and they throw, you know, throwing stars and they're dangerous and children will be, you know, poking, poking their eyes out with ninja stars. So we're going to say yeah, the hero they, turtles. In, Euro- in Europe, they were known as the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. That's weird. Which is what I'm used to because there was a TV show and the song used to go Teenage Mutant Hero Turtle. Anyway, uh, like mm. that. And I was of that generation, uh, but had absolutely zero interest in a Michael Bay produced. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that anything. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Yes, local censorship policies says Wikipedia deem the word ninja to have excessively violent connotations for a children's program, so they changed it to heroes. And the lyrics were in the song were changed. 
uh, as well because ninjas. Well, you missed the whole ninja joke then. Anyway, that's a Flophouse episode. I'm I'm uh, excited that they did a live episode. And I had one more podcast thing, which was when we talked in the Upgradies about podcasts we liked. I don't think I mentioned The Bugle, and I wanted to mention The Bugle because that is one of my other very favorite podcasts. And it's a little more irregular now that John Oliver has his own TV show on HBO, but it's, it's uh, John Oliver and Andy Zaltzman, two British comedians, one in New York and one in London. And um, they comment, seems to be every other week now, on news events uh, with lots of comedy, and I enjoy it greatly, and that's another really great podcast to listen to. So The Bugle, check it out. You listen to The Bugle? Have you heard of The Bugle? Heard of it, never listened to it. Ah, yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I fear that it's going to fade away now that John Oliver has to devote all of his news satire to his own TV show that he makes his whole career on instead of this dumb podcast that he does yeah. but um uh, but it is it is a huge amount of fun and uh, has coined many interesting phrases that i cannot say on this podcast because they're they would have to be bleeped out <laughs> but uh, uh actually one of the things i like about the bugle, bugle is they bleep out a couple of words that john oliver's hbo show doesn't because it's hbo and they don't need to and i actually think they're funnier bleeped i think it's funnier to bleep out words and then you know what the words are rather than to just leave them in but, oh um, uh, yeah, I definitely think that. Like yeah. Arrested Development is so yeah. much funnier. You know what they're they saying? Yeah, the or when they like funny. kind of then they kind of like weirdly obscure the mouth with like somebody's shoulder. I love that. I just think that is fantastic. Yeah. So we're out of the follow up. <laughs> we we have escaped the tunnel of follow up now. Well, I mean that was sort of meta follow up. Follow up that was sort of like Jason wants to talk about things that are not this podcast, and that was but our other podcasts. But we, have, We're done we with still them. have some really interesting topics. But we do. I think considering follow-up is completely over, we should put yep. a stick in the ground and thank a friend. Okay. Thank, <laughs> thank a friend, uh, not a stick. Don't thank the stick. Thank the friend. Uh, the friend I'm going to thank right now is stamps.com. We talked about them last week. Uh, I have some very exciting news on the stamps.com front that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, but just to tell you about, about uh, stamps.com a little bit, these days you can get pretty much anything you want on demand, including this podcast. You are listening to this. We're recording this on, for me, Monday morning. Who knows when you're listening, at night, in the day, in a car, on a bus, anywhere, you know, uh, you choose and uh, you listen, you're listening when it's convenient for you to listen. Um, I I, I say this in contrast to the post office, which has limited hours and a long line, and uh, it's really annoying to go there and mail something out, and I hate it. There's nothing I hate. I've discovered this about myself. There's nothing I hate worse than shipping packages. I hate it. I just mailing things. I hate it. I I just hate it. I would have things sit in my office at Macworld for months because I did not want to ship them back. This is the beauty of Stamps.com. It brings uh, pointing and clicking on something on the internet together with mailing things and now you can get postage on demand and you don't have to deal with other human beings i love that Uh, so anything you can do at the post office you can do now right from your desk with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage sorry mike u.s postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer and unlike the post office stamps.com never closes it's open 24 7 just like your computer can be on at any time it's up to you super convenient. Now, I have now received my stamps.com scale, which is which will actually connect to my Mac via USB and it will weigh packages and things and I actually used it. I sent um I sent 
I sent a little box with uh, Apple's old. Is it the was it the Magic Mouse or the Mighty the Mighty Mouse? The one with the little tiny ball on the top. I'm pretty Expert. sure that's the Mighty Mouse. That's the Mighty Mouse with a little tiny ball on the t- little tiny trackball. Uh, so I have one of those from an old computer. Uh, that was not being used. And I saw on Twitter that um, Brianna Wu's husband, Frank, it, who uh, is near and dear to my heart, Frank is, because he's the one in, in that relationship that likes, like, uh, you know, the original Star Trek and doesn't like playing, like, super crazy video games. And, and uh, he's he's a lot like me. And so I'm, I'm in there for him, but he also uses the, this crazy mouse. And I've been there where you love a piece of outmoded technology and it's hard to find it. And you're like, what's going to happen when my thing that I love is broken. Um, what am I going to do? And uh, so I felt for him because his his Mighty Mouse is dying. So I got a box out of the garage here. I got some bubble wrap. I got the mouse. Put it all together in the box. Went to stamps.com. I weighed I weighed the box. I printed out the uh, the all the information, the the like little barcodes and stuff, and put that all on the box. Stuck it in my mailbox with the flag up, telling the uh, the my my letter carrier to take it away. And magical, it all worked, and that box is winning its way uh, to the East Coast now with that mouse inside for Frank. And I didn't have to go to the post office. I didn't have to wait in line. It was delightful. I haven't sent anything to you yet, Mike, but that is going to happen because they also ship internationally. But my first uh, Stamps.com moment was great because I didn't talk to anybody. I just printed things out and taped things down, and it was really nice. Um, so to our listeners, use promo code UPGRADE at Stamps.com. You will get a special offer. There's a no-risk trial, and there is a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the word UPGRADE. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone and enter UPGRADE. And thank you so much to Stamps.com for sponsoring UPGRADE and supporting our show and letting me not have to go to the post office to mail that weird mouse to Frank. I love that, I love that you can just put packages in and put the little flag up and the, yeah. and the, the mail delivery recipient person picks yeah. it up and takes it. We have to go to he post just, boxes. He just took it away, yeah. That's, a, that's magical. Mm-hmm. Magical. Amazing. All right, uh, other topics. Um. Well, what do you want to talk about? You want to you want to talk about all this chatter about the uh, Mark Gurman report about the twelve inch MacBook Air? A lot of people have talked about that. This is where our, our our Monday recording schedule bites us a little bit because I feel like this has been through uh, the cycle a little bit. But I did write a piece on six colors about it. Yeah, this is one of the the rare things where we got to speak about it on Connected before yes. we get to speak about it on this show. I think, yeah. but I. I do want to talk to you about it because obviously we've had more time to think about it and I value your opinion in such things as I know many people do. And you did write a great piece on, on, on the wonderful six colors. So which color did I write it in? Blue. Blue. In my okay. mind, he wrote it in blue. Okay, um, got it. So having some time to think over this and listen to what other people say and to kind of, to, 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 maybe reflect upon your own piece. Do you think that... How how much truth do you think there could be in this rumor? Well, Mark Gurman, his his sources are good. His track record's pretty good recently yes. for these types of things, isn't it? I, I think... 
And again, you never know. Um, they may have seen something that is going to change. They may rethink about those things happen. Sometimes some of the wrong uh, rumors are actually right at the time, but then they change. And what comes out at the end is not what uh, was reported. And they say, ha they got this wrong. And sometimes that's not true. Sometimes that was an accurate report. And then somebody, you know, the product, the product changed inside Apple. I, so I, I want to I don't want to approach it as being like this is totally happening because there's a lot of time and anything can change. I will say I do give Mark Gurman a lot of credit. He has made his, his reports are generally uh, quite good. And so I think it's worth taking it seriously. And I think it's also worth just having that. Th- this report contains some information that's so wacky that I think it's worth having the um, just thinking about it and thinking about what would this be if this was a thing and 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 some of the reaction to it was very much like oh this is crazy it's impossible it's not going to be like this and I didn't feel like that I, I felt like like if we take this seriously let's try to walk through the process of why Apple would do these things and having thought about it for a little while I definitely came to the conclusion that this uh, product as wacky as it is described by Mark Gurman is not. Um, is not unreasonable for Apple to do. Now, we can argue, I also don't want to say I'm defending the product and think it's a great idea. It may or may not be a successful product, but it seems to me totally like a product that Apple would make. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I guess a lot of the thinking is now, like, you know, if you look back to what the MacBook Air originally was, right, it was this... um, trailblazing device that did yeah, it was, really weird things. Yeah, I had it, um, and uh, it was weird. It, it had, uh, you could get it with a hard drive that was the, a little iPod hard drive. It was slow and awful. Or you could get it with an SSD, which was even smaller than, the, I think it was an 80 gig hard drive, or you could get a 64 gig SSD. If you wanted the 64 gig SSD, it was an extra $1,000. <laughs> wow. And it had one USB port on a little door that flipped down. That was a USB port and a headphone jack on a little door. Um, it had this processor. There was a brand new processor that Intel had had collaborated with Apple on that later would be in other devices. But Apple sort of drove Intel to build this low power, low heat kind of device. And then the thermal stuff on on the original Air was a disaster to the point where if it got too hot, it turned off a processor core. And on the very slow two-core processor in that system, when, when one of the cores shut down, you basically couldn't use the computer anymore. Like even moving the mouse was got jerky. It was it was a as unapple like an experience as you could possibly imagine. To the point where I think I said this in the Six Colors article, um it was a really great computer to use in a meat locker and a really bad computer to use if you had a west-facing window in the afternoon because the hotter it got, the worse it, you know, you could, eventually you could, you had to stop using it. I mean, I would, I would often take it to a place where there wasn't sun just to continue working because I needed to, I needed it to be cooler. Uh, working outside on a hot day on it was not something I could do. <laughs> so it was a compromised computer, but and it was weird in all these different ways. The fact that it only had the one USB port, it had no optical drive, it had that little hard drive or the crazy SSD thing. And, and um, yet, you know, that's what this Mark Gurman report is sort of like. It's like, it's weird. It breaks a lot of rules. Um, 
But the MacBook Air over the years has really evolved into something that's a much more fully functional device. It, it, it's no longer a weird system. It's kind of a mainstream system. Lots of people have MacBook Airs. Lots of people use it. It's the it's the eight ninety nine entry point onto Apple's laptop line lineup, and it brings into question sort of like what the point of the MacBook Pro is. I mean, yeah, it's it's heavier and it's got Retina and it's got a it's got it's more powerful, but they're not as far apart as as you might think and as Apple might want them to be. And so that was that was the thought process I went through is having a weird computer that drops a whole bunch of things that we take for granted and puts some distance between it and the MacBook Pro is a very Apple thing to do. And in fact, it's what Apple did with the original MacBook Air. So why um why would they not potentially do it again and rechristen the Air as a thing that is really about thinness and lightness and not about being a full-featured laptop that's got all these power features that everybody who's kind of like us expects in a laptop? Is this a MacBook Air? Like, this is what everyone's calling it. Yeah. But is this the MacBook Air? Is it something else? If it is a MacBook Air, do the current MacBook Airs become something else? The way it's described is as a MacBook Air, and I would say it seems like a MacBook Air because it seems like it is being it is a device that is being solved for as thin and light as possible. Other features be damned. The features that are most important in this product are thin and light, <laughs> right? Weight and and uh, and thinness are the things. And again, we can argue about whether Apple should be uh, solving for those things, but but let's just say they are because that's sort of been the whole idea behind the the MacBook Air in general. I. You know, my gut feeling is they'll do what they did. I mean, you can still buy a non-Retina MacBook Pro right now. That's still in the in the product list. So my gut feeling is that this product ends up being um, there alongside of existing MacBook Airs for a while, whether it's the 11 and the 13 or just the 13. Uh, you know, the keeping the 11 around at 899 or even 799. Apple does that a lot now. Apple does a lot of older models still hang around and you can still buy them and they're cheaper. So um, some people are speculating that this is going to be the cheap one. This is going to be Apple's cheap, you know, Chromebook competitor and it's going to be $699. And I look at it and I think, eh, I, I think it's more likely that they'll take the existing MacBook Airs, keep them in the product line and have them uh, have them go down in price. And that this will be, especially if it's Retina, that this is a higher end device this will this will cost more than the existing macbook airs do so you but think who knows you think they could bring the cost down to the current and this one will be higher anyway that that's my if, if apple is consistent with what they've been doing the last couple of years when you never know they could change things up um that that's that's my guess apple seems to not be afraid to keep old tech around like i said the 13 inch non-retina macbook pro is still available for sale to this day that is um, pretty wacky, but that's that's what it is. It's you can buy it for ten ninety nine right now. So why not keep the existing airs around? They are fully functional. They're not going to be as thin and light and awesome um, as this new thing, but uh, they're very nice functional computers. And Apple knows how to make them. <laughs> they're already designed. They're making them at, at volume. They can probably cut some. Uh, price out of them and still have a pretty good margin, w- you know, would you not? Th- that just seems like a better move for me from Apple. And and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Um, but to me, it I have a hard time imagining that Apple would make a brand new design, uh, especially if it has Retina, and, 
because I, I have a hard time with them making any new design that doesn't have retina at this point. I just don't see why they would bother investing in building a non-retina device. So at that point, the most likely scenario is that the new thing from Apple costs, you know, twelve ninety nine or something, eleven ninety nine, and that uh, the old things, the old MacBook Airs, stay the same or go down in price a little bit, and that that's consistent with the five C. Uh, it's consistent with the old iPads that are still being sold. You keep the old thing around. The margins on it are better than they used to be when you introduced it. And you discount it and you keep that one around. But your new stuff, your hot new stuff, people want to pay for. And you should, you know, and and also the, your margins on it are going to be less to start. So for me, this feels like a product that is going to go above the existing errors. And then the existing errors will eventually fade away because that seems to be Apple's uh, stock and trade. Uh, you know, for the last few years, anyway. So, my my next kind of line of inquiry uh, is kind of the, maybe the elephant in the room. I don't know, but the weird, the weirdest part of all of it, which is the single USB three. Ah, uh, yeah. Um. So one, I mean, what do you think about this? Is this possible? Is this livable? And and the next is is this kind of saying that. Thunderbolt is going the way of Firewire. Well, not yes, yes. I think it is, and and I think maybe that's okay because um, uh, USB three is pretty good, and I'm not sure if Thunderbolt is really necessary given that this USB three can do a lot of the stuff that Thunderbolt does, um, and I'm not sure Thunderbolt is better enough um, to to beat USB three. And the fact that Apple has been a participant in this USB C stuff makes you think. You know, maybe there's there's more to this. I don't know. I, this is not to get back to accidental tech podcast for a minute, but I, one of the things those guys were doing that I think is a perfect reflection of people who listen to podcasts or do podcasts about Apple tech, and that's you know me and you and everybody listening to this is. We are not every user. We are not necessarily even the target for a product like this. So when they, when when Marco and John and Casey were talking about, like John, I think was saying about, well, you got to put a USB key, or you got to attach a hard drive, and then you've got a or, or an external wired mouse for clicking. And I just sat there um, while I was making dinner, thinking, thinking, no, no, no. No. The answer, if you're Apple, if you think like Apple, the answer is, well, if somebody really wants a mouse, get a wireless mouse. And a USB key, they're like, seriously? USB key? Um, who uses that? And if you, yeah, okay, if you have needs for external devices like that, either this is not the computer for you or you will need a, a, some kind of a hub. And I, I think this is the kind of product that, that makes decisions like that and says, look, most people in the future do not need those things attached to their computer. It's all wireless. So we're just going to, uh, we're going to make it harder for those people who need that level of convenience, but we don't care because we want this to be super simple and thin and light and wireless and only have one port. So I, I think that sounds very Apple. And we can argue about, again, this is not me saying I think it's a perfect decision. It's me saying I can totally see Apple making that decision. So um, I do wonder if there's another part to this story that Mark Gurman didn't report on, and I, I sort of touched on it briefly in my story, which is Apple might come out and say, hey, uh, there's only one port, and it's for power. So if you want to attach any peripheral to it, you're going to have to buy an accessory. You know, so long, suckers, jetpack, and they're out. Right? <laughs> they could, they could, they could do that. I would, I tried to put jetpack in the story. I was like, nobody's going to understand this. It's like a flophouse joke. Anyway, um, but I could see Apple saying, 
this is revolutionary. Nobody's done this before. But our, you know, it's not just the computer that's revolutionary. The power plug is revolutionary, and we've got a breakaway magnetic thing, or or the power plug is itself a hub. And so when you're traveling, you can plug devices into the to the to the little white plastic brick, and it'll connect to the computer and it'll charge. And isn't that amazing that we've re- Apple's reinvented the power plug now? Or we've also got a forty nine dollar thing that you can put on your desk and that you dock to and 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 it takes in power and attaches peripherals and then you just plug in the one cable isn't that amazing and it's only 49 or 79 or 99 or whatever it is i could totally see apple telling those stories about we've got this amazing travel uh, thing that's right on the power plug that lets you do some of this stuff and then we've got this amazing um you know port or something that you can put on your desk if you want or that'll be a third party thing i totally see that and and yes is this going to be a computer that is not convenient for somebody who always is plugging in USB devices. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. But they don't care. I mean, it was the iMac was really inconvenient when it didn't have a floppy drive, and they didn't care. This is very Apple, is what I'm saying. And although we can debate whether it's good or not, I don't think uh, there's a strong argument that Apple wouldn't do something like this. This seems very much like the kind of attitude Apple often has when it's pushing into new areas. Like, look, it doesn't matter that you've got USB keys. We're not going to let your USB keys be the thing that keeps us from making this product because they may even be able to say internally, we know that only you know two-tenths of our laptop users ever do that or 1% or 5%. And... And that point, they say, well, the MacBook Pro is for you then. You're a pro. You've got lots of USB devices. You care about that stuff. Buy the MacBook Pro. This product isn't for you. Very Apple in that way, too, I think. What about MagSafe? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it depends on how hard. They, they, again, they, maybe there's a story there. Maybe they say, well, actually, this is a little cable, and and it uh, it pops right out if you put any pressure on it. So don't worry about it. It's this little tiny reversible thing. Um, So we don't even need the magnet anymore. Or maybe they say we've got an amazing magnetic latch in the in the port that uh, if there's enough force, it just pops it off. Or like I said, maybe it's down the cable. Maybe the um, maybe the 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 tripping point is down the cable and there's a there's a magnetic something or other at the little plastic box or somewhere along the line that pops off if there's force attached, you know. Then again, they could also explain that away. I am with John Syracuse on that point, by the way, which is it would be a shame to just kiss off MagSafe. It is really nice that they have this thing that means my laptop isn't going to fall on the floor when somebody trips on the on the cord. But uh, they may have another story uh, there that we don't see in this report because this report is just, you know, the report looks like it's a complete thing with renders and all of that. But chances are pretty good that what Mark Gurman really got was like a bulleted list of things that are in it and lots of things that might be in it or next to it that he didn't get aren't in that report so it's even though i think his report is probably accurate i don't i don't necessarily think it's complete right okay hello it's fascinating i love i love thinking about this because it makes you know before apple says anything about it because you have to play that game of would apple do this and um that's not the same game as do i want it i mean i say uh, yeah I look at this report and I think, would I want one of those? And, uh, you know, probably not. 
Um, but just because I don't want it doesn't mean Apple's not going to do it. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a market for it. It just means that it's not for me. And I think a lot of us can make that mistake of thinking, oh, this doesn't fit my use case. This isn't a kind of product that I would buy and writes it off when, in fact, you know, you have to think of people who are not you, <laughs> who who might actually like having that thinner, lighter, you know, the, the renders are kind of amazing. I mean, it would be a crazy crazy thin laptop we didn't even get to i didn't even mention that the rumor also says it's not going to have a clicking trackpad you're going to have to tap on it and i hate that i i i I never use tap to click um but you know that's me i for me don't buy it basically (laughs) all right fair enough maybe i won't buy it or maybe they'll have a story that is better than just tap to click that makes it you know uh better than just sort of no feedback tapping in order to get a mouse click we'll see if it's real Well, there we go. <laughs> you okay, Mike? Yeah, I'm fine. I don't know. I'm just not sure how I feel about it. It's a, it's like the one thing that I keep trying to remember and like to get, not necessarily get my head around, but like just to, to force upon myself is like, this has been done so many times. You know, Apple have done this type of thing so many times where they're just like, we're removing that thing that you think that you need. Uh, just, you know, get used to it you know like oh we yeah. take away the hard drive not the hard drive we take away like this optical drive you know before that you know like we're taking away a floppy drive and you kind of just maybe this is the one right this is just the next one which is like we're taking away everything <laughs> and maybe that's it you know I, I don't know but it's 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 just interesting to me uh and i guess what you would expect maybe soon that we would see this maybe uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not I'm not clear. I, I think, you know it, it it really depends. Uh they could they could at some point they could have it ready to go. They could be making them now. Um although my guess is that they aren't because we would probably have seen leaked supply chain photos. But they could be making them soon. Or they could still be working on it and not ready to release it and not happy with the supplies or the cost of the supplies or the margin on the product. And it could be six months or nine months. It's uh, hard to say. Could be any time mm-hmm. or or not. Should we take a final break for this week's episode? I think it's a good time. Tell me all about MailRoute, Jason Snell. All right, MailRoute. I've mentioned it before, Mike. Um, MailRoute is... A uh, magical service, magical. I'm gonna. This is gonna like an Apple product announcement. It's a magical service. Magic. Imagine, imagine a world, Mike, without spam or viruses or bounced email messages. This is a magical world. No, it's the real world. If you use MailRoute, I've been using MailRoute for a few years now. It is a service that sits between your mail server and the internet. Takes in your mail. Process it, processes it to see if it's spammy or has uh, attached viruses or if it's just full of uh, just you know bounced junk from the internet and it filters that stuff out and then it passes it on to your mail server. So your mail server doesn't have to bear the load of receiving all that spam. It never sees it and then you can optionally get a report every so often and you you decide how often on their easy uh, web interface that will list the stuff that got uh, got knocked out of your account and if there's something there if there was a false positive you can with one click 
click, whitelist the person who sent it so their their mail never gets caught again and have that mail immediately delivered into your inbox. And I do that occasionally, but there are very few false positives at this point. Uh, MailRoute is doing a great job. The stuff that is in my little MailRoute uh, message uh, or uh, digest that I get, uh, that's all. it's all spam. And I just laugh at the subject lines and then I move on with my day, which is great. Um, so uh, MailRoute has done this for me. It can do it for you. You don't have to install any hardware. You don't have to install any software. It's all in the cloud. It's MailRoute software on their servers. It's easy to set up. It is reliable. I haven't had any problems with reliability with my mail getting delivered, trusted by large universities and corporations. If you are a desktop user like me, you will like the simple, easy interface for MailRoute. And if you're an email administrator or an IT professional, they've got all the tools uh, that you want. They've built them with you in mind. There's an API for easy account management. They support LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Outbound Relay, and Mike's favorite, mailbagging. This is where you shout mailbagging. Come on. Mailbagging! Hey, everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. Um, I've been using it for a while. It's very good. Check it out. Uh, go to mailroute.net slash upgrade, and you will get a free trial. You can try it out and see if it's for you. And you'll also get 10% off of the lifetime of your account. If you go to mailroute.net slash upgrade, remove your spam from your email for good, like I did. And thanks to everybody at MailRoute for being a good friend of Upgrade and for filtering spam out of my email. Be like Jason. Use MailRoute. Sure. Sure, I do. I love the I love the one-click thing. That's my favorite thing is that when, when it does misfile something, which happens occasionally, that you can make one click and then the mail is immediately delivered and that person is now whitelisted and you never have to deal with it again. It's really nice. So let's talk about battery life. Okay. Now, you, you wrote a piece on, uh, on Six Colors looking at iOS yes. devices and... Yes, thanks to Stephen Hackett. Yes, who I believe I believe you guys not to not to um, spoil upcoming episode of Connected, but I believe you guys are working on something that is iPad related. Maybe. And um, Mr. Hackett was looking. He he recalled that I that I've talked a lot about how Apple tends to solve for specific battery life with their iOS products. That every year there's a new iPhone, and people think, oh, maybe this year the iPhone will have a bigger battery. And the answer is always no. This iPhone is smaller, and the amount of battery life that Apple quotes is pretty much the same as last year. And that happens every year. That Apple obviously is not trying to make their phones bigger or even the same size and have more battery life. Instead, they're trying to they're playing the game of how small can we make this thing and how much can we tweak the software and how power saving is the hardware so that we can get to the point where it's got that you know suitable battery life and and no more. And uh, so Stephen asked me Hey, did you ever write a story about that? And I said, no, I talk about it all the time and I've never written a story about it. So he did some, he did some research into the numbers that Apple has quoted for iPhones and iPads over the years and, um, and made some charts that I uh, sort of uh, adapted and wrote a piece around. So now we've got a piece that if you ever do talk about this in a future episode of Connected, you can link to this piece because now that piece finally exists. And the numbers are amazing. You know, it was all... 
anecdotal. Obviously, in covering these products over the years, I would always do the math and say, oh, well, it's pretty much the same as the last time. It's always pretty much the same as the last time. People would always shake their fists and be like, ah, I really wish there was more battery life. And the answer was Apple thinks there's enough battery life in the iPhone. At least they're not willing to compromise and make the iPhone heavier or thicker for your battery life. Much as what we just talked about, about the MacBook Air, I feel like that happens here too, which is um, Apple saying, sure, if you really want mega battery life, go buy a battery pack. But we're not going to put the battery pack in every single iPhone because most people don't want it. I really think that that's the, that's the approach here. So with Steven's research, we were able to generate some charts, which are in this story, which show the, um, he did, a, he did uh, iPhone battery life, the quoted standby time, and also the quoted sort of average time, uh, talk time on whatever networks were in those phones uh, when they were released, the, the pre- prevalent network supported by the phone at the time. So that changed over time from 2G to 3G to LTE. Uh, and what you see is, for the iPhone, the quoted uh, talk time has been, you know, it, it, it came up from the original iPhone and the 3G from, you know, in the eight hour range to about uh, 11 hours in the 4S. Regressed with the 5, went back up with the 5C, 5S, but they're not that different. And it's only with the iPhone 6 that the talk time has gotten sort of above 12 hours quoted. These are not based on, te- they're based on Apple's internal tests for uh, marketing purposes so that they can figure out what numbers to quote. But it's not, these are not the independent test numbers. These are just sort of what Apple says the battery life is. Um, And then there's the six plus and the six plus. Yeah. There's a lot of battery life in the six plus. That is the, that is the change to the equation. And if you look at the standby numbers, it's the same thing. They haven't changed a whole lot over time. There is not a strict upward progression over time because you can see that Apple is taking away some battery life when it needs to, in order to, you know, get more powerful or thinner or lighter. And again, it's only really with a six plus that you see something that is way outside the norm. So clearly on the normal, whatever they consider the normal sized iPhone, Apple is solving for that battery life. And on the iPad, it's even more hilarious. On the iPad, Wi-Fi iPads are always 10 hours of battery life. That's what they're shooting for the quoted number of 10 hours of battery life. And the only exceptions in the entire life of the iPad are the, iPad 2, iPad 3, and iPad 4 cellular models, they were quoted at 9 hours. But the current cellular models are all quoted at 10 again. So, so And I think maybe the first mini was also a 9-hour a, a for the cellular version. So basically, the point of these dumb charts is um, Apple's trying to hit a battery life, not grow battery life over time. And the only exception seems to be the 6+. plus. Okay, so I hmm, okay, I disagree with that hypothesis. Uh, Interesting for for the, six plus user. Well, yeah, but for the phones. Okay, so you look at the yeah. iPad, right? And clearly, Apple are making decisions in the negative and positive to get it to ten. There is like a number on the wall in the iPad hardware development team that just says ten. This is a piece of paper on the wall that says ten, which is clear, right? Because you look at that. And it's over the these what, six iterations. It's sticking at ten. Those standby numbers for the phone are all over the place. So Apple have not decided on an amount. That if they thought the original iPhone was the right amount, which is kind of where we are again with the six, then like why did it increase for the three G, the three G S, and the four? 
and then it decreased right. significantly for well, the 4S and I, I, as only stand- kind of building up from there. With standby, I wonder how much of software is embedded into the standby. And also, we've got not only do we have software and hardware changes, but we've got these wireless changes that happen. Like, if you look at the battery life uh, with talk times, the reason the five, the 4S goes down to the 5, it's got to be LTE. It's got to be LTE. Like, LTE, they took a hit, and the battery life regressed because of LTE. Um, and maybe, you know, 3G, when the iPhone went to the iPhone 3G, it regressed in battery life on cell. And that was probably because of the extra power required for the 3G. And then they got better over time. Um, but like so I said, if we look at the yep. cell chart, though, they were happy to let it increase, right? And then LTE come by and, and struck it down. But that... But, you know, if you look at the overall trend, if you were to draw a trend line from iPhone to iPhone 6, that Apple are increasing it. And if they're increasing it, it means they don't think that they've found the the number that they found with the original iPad. Like the original iPad, the number is the same as it is today. We are not at that stage with the iPhone. Admittedly, it's not a huge increase, but it's big enough. It's It's basically double. So... My, my argument would be is they have not found that point yet, but they are making decisions in the way that they make the phone, which don't let it go crazy like it does for the 6 Plus. The 6 Plus's battery is that, the, the battery life is only that great because they have added space. They have extra yeah. space because it's so large. They just chuck well, it in and, there. And the 6 has extra space too, which is, I think, why the 6 has the best battery life. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, of cellular talk, I, I guess what I would say is there is a positive trend over time, but it seems to be related to adopting a new technology and then improving within that technology. So the 3G era, you see improvement 3G, 3GS, 4, 4S, and then you take the step back with LTE, and then you see forward steps there. Although the the the, the jump from the 5C and 5S era to the 6 is a much bigger jump from the 5 to the 5C and the 5S. And I think that's because of size as a part of it. I guess I, I don't dispute that Apple is open to adding more battery life. I guess I would say clearly Apple is not concerned about... If you look at that base number for the 5, let's say, Apple felt like that was good enough and that they, they made... And the 5 was so much thinner... Than the than the four S, and they were okay with that because they thought that battery life was okay, and I mean the and these are all messy numbers and and but I just for, for in my mind I look at this and I say this shows that Apple kinda is not they don't care if they regress with battery a little bit from time to time they just don't care whereas thinness they really seem to care if they regress oh I agree thinness with that and, thin, thinness and lightness they have to be marching forward battery they're like they're they're okay because again you could have gone from the 4s to the 5 and kept the thickness of the 4s and that ba- that battery life would have been better and they didn't do it they 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 put it back in because i i think they're just shooting for um and underlying this i would say is they're shooting for all day they're shooting for some platonic ideal of all day which is you unplug your phone in the morning when you go to work you're at work all day and then you go home in the evening and it should last that much time and that they have models of usage that are based on that. It's like you can be you can do that all day, but if you're going to be on your device every minute of that day using data, it's going to die. But then you're an outlier, and they're not solving for you. They're solving for somebody who's got lighter use than that. So I, I just I would expect these numbers to look to improve um, 
not because battery technology is improving, but because Apple wants to increase. If Apple targeted this as a feature it wanted to improve over time, it would have, and it hasn't really until the six. And I think the six is where the story changes because of the size. So uh, I definitely agree with you that that they're that they're not averse to cutting it for certain reasons. It's just my kind of my the way that I look at this is they found something with the iPad that they've not yet found with the iPhone, which is the number, <laughs> right? The iPad. I don't know why they made the decision that they made. But they decided to go with 10 and they stuck on it. You know, they're just like, this is just where we're going to go. And it's just interesting to me that 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 is how that has been. Like, because even the mini, right? The mini's 10, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, it's this weird. Because then you'd think, like, you know, the mini and the air, in theory, they had pretty much the same internals. The air should have had bigger battery life, in theory, if you look at the 6 and the 6 Plus, right? Because that, that is like a. In, they are very similar in that idea. Pretty much the same internals, bigger screen. You'd think bigger screen would take more battery. Clearly it doesn't, but Apple potentially made a choice and they're like, 10 hours is what it gets. That's what we're going to put in it. There's, there's a really, um, this is an example from another company, but I think this is really interesting in illustrating how companies make these decisions. This is Nintendo. So the the on the Wii U, the Wii U gamepad gets about four to six hours of battery life, something hmm. like that. But Nintendo sell a bigger battery that you can buy. Huh. You can buy it from, from Nintendo's website. And it says it's very easy. Like the instruction is very easy to change. It's just one screwdriver, and you can put it in, and you get like 8 to 10 hours of battery life. Now, like the reason I bring this up is because what that obviously does is it adds weight to the overall product and potentially makes it a less comfortable thing to hold in your hand. So it's just like this is from a company that, is is not averse to to letting you put things and change things, right? But they made they made a decision because the battery pack the the battery slot for the um the Wii U, the battery in it doesn't fit inside the entire pack. It's smaller. So you the the place that you put this battery pack in, it's the larger battery pack, mm-hmm. and it fits in the same place. So like they have additional space for it. Sure. But they decide that they don't want to use it that way. I just think it's just an interesting, like parallel. You know, they they make decisions based on that. I yeah. I I think, um, I think you make. I mean, you're right. The the um the battery life on the Apple stuff is is fluctuates. Um, I think the larger point is that Apple feels like it's enough. Apple clearly is not being driven by people complaining that their phone doesn't last all day to make the phone have more capacity. Unless we look at the 6, which is kind of a byproduct of the size, and see that there is more battery life on the 6 than there was. Um, it just, it's funny. Like, if 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 it was clear that everybody hated the iPhone because it didn't last long enough, I think you would see in the numbers a bigger drive to get to, you know, 12, 15, 18 hours that it's just kind of not there. It's just this slow progression where the the chips are getting more efficient and then there's a new cell technology and it drops again. Um, it, it explains to me why my daughter's iPhone 5 is constantly running out of battery because she's a heavy user and uh, it doesn't have very good battery life. <laughs> and it's and it's two years old. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just, it's interesting. I, I'm glad that Stephen did the research here and, and it was a, a fun story to write. But um 
you know, Apple's not going to let you swap in a new battery like Nintendo. And Apple has shot, I mean, Nintendo has decided that for most people, um, that base battery is probably fine. And if you're somebody who's an outlier, you'll buy the extra battery and you can put it in and that's fine, but they're not going to spend the money on the extra battery if most people don't need it. My son is kind of paranoid about the battery. It's good to know that that's the battery life because he's paranoid about the battery. He doesn't even want to run the the Wii controller without being plugged in. Like, no, no, it's fine. It's got a battery. It'll last for a while. I should let him know that because he, he tends to stay tethered to where it's plugged in. Batteries, huh? I'm, I'm just pleased that you finally put in print that I made the superior choice with the 6+. plus. If if battery life like that is what you care about, I know you need that battery life because of uh, you know your long commute and all the time you spend using your phone at your uh, at your workplace. Oh right, you don't I do that anymore. I still make commutes. I have all a right. co working space. It takes me it takes me about an hour to get there. Okay, uh, and then I'm off power. I, I well good. Yeah, I very frequently continue to to need my iPhone all day. Good for you. Well. Do we do we have uh, what do you think? Are we done? Should we do one more? Let's just let's do this quickly. Okay. Because I mean, this one we 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 got to talk about it now, or or we lose it forever. Hold our peace. Which is that this or or until next year? This this week is the eighth anniversary or last week, I guess, eighth anniversary of the uh, of the iPhone launch. We just had it, which also means it's the first anniversary of that nice uh, episode of the prompt where you talked about the iPhone launch. Yeah, Which that was, was a great episode. Thank you. That, Put it in the that, show notes. I will do. That took episode uh, 30. Eight hours to edit. That, did. that was the, um, I would say, listening to that episode was great because I thought, oh my God, they did an episode of The Incomparable that's about an Apple event. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I love that. Of it that way. <laughs> it's the, an, it's the, an, an analytical, uh, you know, it looks like a review, except instead of a movie or a TV show, it's of an, a video of an Apple event. Uh, broke it down. I loved it. Um, and that was, uh, so January 9th, a few days ago as we record this, it was the 8th anniversary of that. The, the iPhone didn't ship until the summer, so the eight, actual 8th anniversary of the iPhone on the, you know, being available as a product is uh, a few months away. Um, and and I wanted to mention that it is the 8th anniversary, and as somebody who's been doing this for a while, I also wanted to mention, um, I'm in the audience there, although unlike the iPod event, you can't see me in the video, I'm pretty sure I'm not visible in the video. Um but I'm there somewhere at Macworld Expo, so I may actually be up in one of the front rows for that one. Um, and uh, at that time, we weren't doing a live blog yet, so I was sending instant messages back to the office, and Peter Cohen was turning it into a live news story. So we would just write it as a news story, but just keep updating it every as everything got announced. Um, because in, back in those days, live blogging wasn't quite the thing that it, it, that it became. And uh, and then I just wanted to mention that there was a, a few days later, uh, I got to um, touch the iPhone. <laughs> I got to use uh, a sample. And uh, I remember that vividly because I remember picking it up and being surprised at how um, dense it felt and the at the at the resolution of that screen, which was. Um, although not impressive now because it's not a retina display by any stretch, it was roughly double what used to be the standard Mac screen resolution, uh, which was 72 DPI, and that was in the 140 DPI range. So it was a, uh, a, a denser screen than Apple had ever made before, so everything looked better. And the stuff that worked 
worked really well. And then there were the apps that you would touch on and realize that it was just a screenshot and that app didn't exist. Um, but that was a, there was a great like six month period where I was one of a handful of people who could say that they had actually held an iPhone and used it for a little bit. And don't think I didn't point that out at every possible occurrence. Oh yeah. I've used the iPhone. Really? Yes. Yes. Oh, you know um, me. Good times. Good times. Anyway, that's a, that's a classic event. That is sort of the pinnacle of the Steve Jobs keynote. Um, uh, people should listen to episode 30 of the prompt because that's a, uh, a great breakdown on that on that event and that was a really that was a cool thing to see it was uh, amazing to be in the audience and hear the people tittering about the uh the 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 um revolutionary mobile phone widescreen ipod with with touch controls breakthrough internet communicator as people got it right before he said you're getting it people are like oh i see what he's doing here and there was people you could hear the audience just sort of like starting to come together and uh yeah that was pretty cool so that was a good moment. Eight years ago. Where does the time go? Amazing. And one question for you about this then. How did that come about with you getting, getting to go and, and see it then? Because obviously it was during Macworld, so Apple were around. Yeah, they had a, they had a, a room at, uh, at Macworld Expo. Right. Um, and it was... Uh, often the mezzanine somewhere and you go down a ways and then there was Apple people, you know, that you, you couldn't pass unless you had the approval and then you went back there. So it was, it was like, you know, come by on Wednesday after, you know, or Thursday, I think it was the last day, come by on Thursday in the afternoon and we'll have a briefing. And it was, right, okay. you know, I, I don't even remember who it was. It might've been like Greg Joswiak or somebody. I don't think Phil Schiller was there. He might've been. It was, but it was like two or three Apple. It was like a PR person and a couple of Apple execs, and an iPhone. And it was spread out over the week because I suspect they only had a couple that were functional that you could actually, a member of the press could actually touch. And but they invited me in, and toward the end of the week, and uh, and I got to use it and and write a story about it and and have that in my mind of like this is what this device is going to be like for those months when we had no idea. Um, and it's funny to look back to my story now because that was, you know, after my 10 minutes with it. And the 10 minutes were tough because they wanted me to use it and also ask them questions. And I found that I couldn't. I found like I would start using it and I'd be like, I don't even, I'd start, I'd start asking a question and then I would be tapping on things and the question would just trail off and I'd be like, guys, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can focus on you and focus on this thing. It was, a, it was, it was pretty incredible. That is the most that is the most I have ever felt like I can't believe this te- this technology exists in my entire career of of uh, using technology. That 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 a product that looked and felt like that was actually in my hands and not fictional. It was it was like that. It was pretty crazy. So where people think that you're actually the lucky one, you're actually an unlucky person because we all just imagined what it would be like before we get it, but you like you knew what it was like right so you, i think it's probably worse for you because you know what you're going to what you're going to be getting in a couple of months time yeah oh yeah it was uh it was clear what that product was going to be it was just it was clear it was it is funny now though that i look at the the pictures of the people looking at the the one that was in like the the plastic tube <laughs> and everybody's like oh the phone the phone and uh it was all theoretical and for me it was never theoretical or you know after i saw it i i had an idea and that was it was pretty crazy that was that was great that was a great it was a great thing it was uh i'm glad that apple did that because everybody who who touched that phone 
got to hold that phone knew what was going on. So that was really smart of them because in hindsight now, with some of the reporting we've got, we know there weren't that many that functioned (laughs) and that they probably didn't function for very long. So they didn't want you doing too much on it because probably after each briefing, they had to reboot it and reset it and get it back to a clean state because it was still under serious development. But um, yeah, it was uh, once you held it. I mean, I remember it it, that was warm (laughs) and dense and and that the screen was so bright and clear and that the the you know that touch screen coming from a like a trio or something that that touch screen was so responsive and that the keyboard was auto correcting and things like that just yeah it was it was pretty amazing see elastic scrolling man gets me every time you yeah, know, the, the bit of the the bit in the video where you could hear audible gasps when yep. it gets to the end of the i think he's in the the music app it's goes and it bounces back it bounces back Yep. Every time. I still get chills watching that video. If you've never if you haven't seen or you've never seen the the iPhone announcement or you haven't seen it since the original, you should watch it again because Definitely. It's still every bit as magical. Um it's a classic in a weird way. In a weird way. Yeah. And also yeah, it, it, is. it holds new entertainment value now because of all the things that they're doing which now look crazy. Like mm-hmm. how Steve's like, you know, he, he looks at the phone and he pulls down his glasses and he holds it in one hand and he's like just with one finger tapping to type, you know, and it's like he has no idea how to use this keyboard yet. And there's just all these little nice little touches about it like that which makes it well worth watching. Yeah, plus Dan Stigman. Oh, skip that bit. <laughs> Even when we did the uh, when we did the iPhone uh, episode, we we all skipped that bit. Skipped no, the dance segment, yeah. Bit. It was the worst. The and weird worst. Eric Schmidt is in that too. So yeah, yeah. watched his bit, and the, the Yahoo guy is the best bit. Like the Yahoo guy, he's oh, like, yeah. hey, maybe Jerry you can give me one of those, and it's like, hey, go away. Don't call me. <laughs> we'll call you. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks for the search engine, or whatever it is. Thanks for the weather. Thanks for the stocks widget. Bye, Jerry. Oh, they gave the push email for free. Oh, that's it. Push email. Mm-hmm. Revolutionary. Magical. I love that the CEO of the company providing the free thing still <laughs> get a device yeah. and had to ask on stage. Just no luck. If you'd like to find the show notes for this week's episode, you should go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 18. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week, lynda.com, stamps.com, and MailRoute. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I am joined, as always, by the lovely Mr. Jason Snell. He is at J-Snell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and writes thefantastic6colors.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Upgrade. If you'd like to listen live, go to relay.fm slash schedule, and it will give you all the information that you need. Or you can follow our Twitter account, which is at underscore Upgrade FM. Jason always issues a lovely tweet to let you know when we're going to be recording. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 